0: Welcome to the What If podcast, where we rewrite sports past, present, and future. We're your hosts, Eddie, Jeet,
1: Cameron, and Michael,
0: four lifelong friends, each with a unique perspective on sports. And find out what if oil superpowers did not rule
2: European soccer? everyone we're back here with another episode glad to have you all with us so this episode kind of along with the theme of this season we've been talking about some heavier topics and more real world applications of sports and where sports and life intersect so today's a similar episode but before that when we talk about life we think about How many years make up a life? And we think about what happens when you add another year to your life. And the reason why we think about that is because one of our own has added another year to their life. And we think that should be acknowledged. So Cameron, his birthday is very soon. (laughs) So we just wanted to take some time to commemorate Cameron, honor him, cherish him, and talk about some of our memories of him.
3: For me personally, I mean, Cameron and I go way
2: back. We've known each other since like second grade. We've talked about this on previous episodes, but him and I always would have these like eating competitions (laughs) where we would try to eat like a cupcake as fast as we could and see who would win. And then we would get in trouble for that. It was, it was a lot of food related stuff all throughout elementary school, just trying to eat as quickly as we could. Um, we would have this thing where we would play cards. We played a game called Slaps. I think that was what it was called, Cameron, where you play cards and then you have to slap it when a certain card comes up. Do you remember that? Uh, Egyptian Rat Screw. Egyptian Rat Screw, there it is. So we played that a lot during elementary school. <laughs> um, and then we would also sharpen our pencils to like the very smallest possible length. I don't know why we did that, but we were weird kids. Yeah, we were super weird. But yeah, Cameron as a kid, totally different from what he is now. Like he was a dork. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I mean, I say that because I I am a dork and I was a dork too, but (laughs) that's probably why we became friends. But he had those like the sports goggles and was like very sporty and also very smart. So Cameron's always been just like really solid friend always there when you need him. First one out the door, when you need someone out the door, I don't know what that expression is, but, (laughs) but yeah, so Karen and I, I I love going outdoors. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go. I'm ready to go. There it is. Eddie, Michael, what do you got about Cameron?
4: Very good. Yeah. Cameron, I just got to say like, Right when G started talking about this intro, I think this is going to be your best year of your life.
3: Because how old are you turning, Cameron? 27.
4: And I'm presuming, what is your favorite number? It is also 27. Because a good old Scotty Rowland. So, Scotty, I know you're listening to our podcast. Give Cameron a shout out. Uh, so, very happy birthday, Cameron. Add a few memories. I remember one. We're all hanging out, all four of us, and many other people. Like, it was, we were at Dave and Buster's after a senior year of prom. And I remember, Cameron, Dave and Buster's, there's a little photo booth where you can go in with you and your friend, and you could create a child, a off how you two look in that picture. And I had it pulled up here. Eddie, I'll send it to you for the socials. And I just remember <laughs> throughout the years, you know, like this very strange looking child. We had a daughter. Um, we always for sure? would joke like- Are you sure it was the daughter? It, that that could have gone point. either way. I, mean, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> that is a good point. It could be, uh, it could go either way for sure. I just remember we would always joke like, who took care of our child? Like, I would joke that it was you, Cameron, who was taking care of them, but then you would say like, I thought you thought I was taking care of them. But yeah, that's one thing that always comes to mind. I have that picture. It makes me laugh every time. <laughs> Another one, Kim, I don't even know if you remember this. I don't even know if it really, I don't know if it happened, but I remember like sixth grade. We knew each other. We were friends in sixth grade, but I remember there was a camp and that we both ended up in the training room because we both had injuries. And I feel like it was at you, And I remember like looking at you, like, I know this guy, I know this guy, he's on the bench and he's looking at me too. But again, I don't know if you remember this. I don't even know if this is you. I don't even, I think it was you. And I just remember like, I, that's Cameron. I know that guy. I know. Yeah. But like you had a buzz cut. I don't, based off of your reaction, I don't know if you remember this, but. No, I, I do not. <laughs> I do not remember this. <laughs> I got you. Um, I either told a story that was great or it was not even involving you. But yeah, I'll leave it at that for now. But I always remember that for some reason with you, Cameron. Like, I think it was Cameron that day. What, 13, 14 years ago at this point. But oh my gosh. I I don't remember that at all. I have no idea. I'm gonna probably take that part out then. (laughs) If if I can can, if I can't confirm it was you, Cameron, I might take that out. We'll see. I don't
3: remember (laughs) it. That's funny. Um
0: Yeah, I think one early memory that I have is, of course, we know how we used to eat stuff underneath the tables and stuff in elementary school. I think we already talked about that. But this other one, I remember, well, first of all, you owe me $4 still, because we made a bet that Brett Favre would retire. And this was in middle school. And technically, he did retire, but then he came out of retirement. And I said that if he retires, Cameron will pay me $4. So you still owe me $40. But anyways.
1: I don't accept that. I still don't
0: <laughs> but uh, I remember we made this bet in uh, middle school. I think I was in middle school and we used to eat lunch at this table. And every time, like, I did this thing, it's terrible, where I'd pull the chair underneath someone when they're about to sit down. So I think I got Jeet. I got, like, you know, some other friends. Michael, I think you were one of them. But I could never get Cameron. Never and i told him you know this was in middle school i said hey before we graduate from high school i'm going to pull a chair from underneath you when you're about to sit to this day i've never successfully done it <laughs> we graduated high school almost 10 years ago still haven't done it so that's that's one thing another memory i have actually did you want to comment on that before i continue no i,
1: I had forgotten about that but i do remember being very aware whenever you were around whenever i was sitting down for a long time <laughs> I don't know I don't know if that carried into high school but yeah you definitely did go through a stage of that and I was I was very aware when I was sitting down. like very slow sitting down and you'd like pull it at the last second and I'd just be like in like a squat like a wall sit basically in the air <laughs> just like always ready
0: but uh anyways This other memory, it's actually very current. I wanted to couple it with like some current stuff. But lately, I've learned that whatever Cameron recommends I watch in terms of shows, they're very good. Ted Lasso, I've watched it. Phenomenal show. I love it. Winning Time, that's a show that I'm watching right now based on the Lakers. It's very good. And even way back in terms of something that you recommended, I think you're the one that got me into SNL. Because you used to reference this segment on SNL called What's Up With That? (laughs) With Kenan Thompson. And that's one of my favorite segments. So because of you, that's how I started watching SNL.
3: So, yeah, man. You
1: still don't like Ja Morant yet, though. I don't. (laughs) need to get on the jaw train.
0: I do. Yeah, I do. It'll It'll take take some time, though. It'll take time. I think going off that, for a more recent
2: thing, for any of Cameron's enemies listening to this, Cameron's greatest weakness is identifying actors' names properly. Like, you could (laughs) could ask him, hey, who's that guy that plays Captain America? And he'll give you, like, three different names, all the wrong. (laughs) So if anyone wants to know how to really stump Cameron, that is his Achilles heel. Uh... But yes, Aaron, we all love you very much. Happy birthday. And yeah, do you have anything to say for yourself in this time?
1: No, nah, like, I just, I appreciate you guys. Wish we could all hang out and do like a birthday dinner or something, but it's all good. You guys are great. You guys have always been amazing friends. So just appreciate you guys. All those things don't happen without, you know, good friends
3: to, to do them with. So respect, respect.
2: Yeah. So from the birth of Cameron to the birth of oil, I guess I don't know how to transition. Wait, to it.
1: Did you wanna? Did you wanna give a shout out to our Instagram friend? <laughs> yeah, Eddie.
2: I don't know if you wanna cover this. I think you know better than I do.
1: Um, yeah.
0: But- shout out to Shot underscore and nineteen for uh, listening to our Ichiro Suzuki episode from Japan. This user from Japan. We got love from Japan. That's awesome.
3: Good stuff. Shout out to you.
2: And yeah, I think that's, is a perfect segue. Actually, I don't think that's a good segue at <laughs> all, but um, See, the
4: transitions today have been a little,
2: uh, <laughs> been a little off, I I've got off game with that, but regardless, anyways, today we're going to be talking about the effects of oil superpowers on European sports, soccer in general, and what that could look like in the future. So yeah, strap in and off for a ride we go. So we're getting to the show now and it's a topic that Eddie and I have talked about and that I think in recent days has Kind of come up more and then more in the news. But one thing you'll notice is that a lot of the big European soccer teams are owned by either countries or states or billionaires who made a lot of their money through the oil business. You could look at Roman Abramovich for Chelsea. You could look at the Saudi Arabians for Newcastle or Qatar and UAE for PSG and Man City. So We definitely live in an era where European soccer is dominated by these oil superpowers. And now we're also starting to see how that could be very dangerous, like we saw with Abramovich and how with Russia and Ukraine, how now Chelsea's in a lot of trouble because their owner helped
3: fund a war. So now they don't have an
2: owner and they're going to have to sell their team. And in my estimation, I don't think this is the last time this is going to happen because we remember when Newcastle got their new owners this year, there's a lot of controversy because the Saudi Arabian royal family had a lot of not so savory rumors and allegations made against them. So there's a lot of controversy going on currently in the owners around European soccer. And I guess what I am interested in hearing your guys' thoughts on are, where do you think this is going to lead? Like we've seen already what is possibly one of the worst case scenarios with Chelsea and with Abramovich and with Ukraine and Russia. Where else do you think this can possibly go if these oil superpowers continue to be in charge? Is it a bad thing? Is it not necessarily a bad thing? Is it just how the market is? Like, it's not a situation where you give teams to the nicest guys. It's whoever has the most money and they have the most money. So is it just fair? Or do you think that this is going to become unsustainable at some point? And is the Premier League, among other leagues, going to have to start saying, in order to be an owner, you need to pass these qualifications in terms of human rights like you can't have any human rights violations attributed
3: to you or something like that so
2: what are your guys thoughts on the dominance of oil superpowers in european soccer and the effect that has on soccer as a whole
1: right now it's uh it's really tricky because like obviously with like oil prices and everything going up And like, had you mentioned like the Russia stuff? Like, a lot of Russia is obviously very involved in the energy world, which is—I mean, oil to start with—is not just involved in sports, like with all the money. Like, I mean, it's everywhere. So it's not just affecting that part of it. But obviously, we're a sports podcast, so we're talking about how it affects sports. Um. Yeah, I mean. It's scary to think because that money has never been clean money, <laughs> unfortunately. But I, I don't think it would change that much, honestly. I think those guys know how to find a way to maintain their money. They're smart enough to get it, obviously. And, you know, if they're that invested in sports. But I mean, it's not the first time that an owner has been pushed out for something. Um, I think about, like, the Clippers owner, whenever he said like a bunch of racial remarks. He was forced out as the owner of the Clippers, and, I mean, someone stepped in. I mean, there's going to be billionaires everywhere that want to be invested in that. So I don't know if it affects it like that much. I think there's going to be a little bumpy patch there for a little bit and figuring all of that out, like you said. But, I mean, sports provides money like almost nothing else. So there's always going to be people that are interested in getting a chunk of that.
0: I think, um,
3: yeah, a couple of points that you brought up, G.
0: You know, with the fact that ownership has been, you know, I think you posed a question about whether owners will be vetted or, you know, sort of based on their history, things like that. And if we're focusing on the Premier League in particular, I think that might be a possibility. You know, from the way how I've seen the landscape of soccer change. Since I've been a fan, I'd say since like 2004, like a player, if they had a political message to say on their shirt, they would get reprimanded. Like I remember one example of the time when Nelson Mandela died, Didier Drogba and Emmanuel Ebue, they were playing for Galatasaray. And then at the end of the game, I think Drogba like removed his shirt and he had A shirt underneath that said, Rest in Peace, Mandela. And I think he got fined for that. So then you just fast forward to the way how soccer is today, especially in the Premier League. You know, of course, with the things that happened in 2020 with the death of George Floyd, you know, now they're taking a knee. You look at the war in Ukraine and how teams were wearing like the Ukrainian flag over them. If they had a Ukrainian player, you know, they were wearing shirts to honor that player. Even like on television, the NBC Sports was displaying that Ukraine we stand or something to that effect. Right. And a lot of these other broadcasters saying, you know, stop the war, things like that. So I say all those things to say. The Premier League in particular, they are keeping in mind external events. With like the production of the game and the way how they display it. So external events even political events are infiltrating the game. So, I think that I would not discount that possibility of owners, if there's a new owner that wants to get a team that they would be vetted or if there's an existing owner you're looking at Newcastle or something, Man City, you know, if they have a poor human rights record, they may be vetted and they may be kicked out. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that were to happen, considering how much change the Premier League has gone through, and football,
3: soccer as a whole. So, yeah.
1: It makes me wonder, though, with so many of those groups buying teams, I think, I mean, I don't think it's just soccer, right? Aren't there, like, some other groups, like, buying other sports teams as well? I can't think of any off the top of my head, but... I mean, those guys were doing shady stuff with the war in the Middle East and like stuff like that, right? Like, but they have just a crap load of money. So why wouldn't that have stopped them before? Like people know about that stuff, you know. I just think sometimes people get so blind with money that, you know, and obviously they're winning those teams that are investing all that money. So they're just like they kind of turned a blind eye to it little bit so in a world where you know I'd love to see them be more considerate of that like Stan Kroenke owns like seven teams I think he's a terrible person so he hasn't done anything on that level yeah but like he's not a good person like a lot of these guys aren't good people so I read a big article about Jimmy Haslam the owner of the Browns and like how like he owns, like, a gas station company, I think. And they're, like, they've been under a lot of scrutiny and stuff for some of the way that their business models and stuff are. But, like, no one's pushing him out of the, the Browns, you know. So I would love to see a change. I hope that you guys are right. But, unfortunately, not all fans think like we do. Especially when a team like Man City is, like,
3: winning all the time. So. <laughs>
4: I think this is a great topic to you. very like high level and to be fair, like I don't like ownership in soccer. I mean, obviously like European soccer is like the Mecca, like that's where everything is really going on in the soccer world, at least club wise. So like, I don't know much about like the owners in soccer compared to probably like basketball or something, you know, or football, but it's interesting because I know in other, you know, Swansea city now granted, Definitely not the same level as, you know, your Arsenal, Real Madrid, Liverpool, these really big sponsors, but they did something a couple of years ago where they were sponsored by Bet365, which if I'm not mistaken, is at least maybe like the UK's biggest gambling entity. And I'm curious to see if this will happen with, you know, big oil companies like sponsoring and owning even bigger clubs and kind of like vetting them beforehand. But Swansea City basically said, hey. We don't want that image placed upon our club that our sponsor is the country's and the UK's largest gambling entity. We're changing our sponsor. And I'm going to next to guarantee that it probably costs them some money. So I think it really does depend on the money aspect versus reputation. And, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice as a club? So I think about the Premier League, I think it's in a really good financial spot, but I also wonder about the leagues that aren't doing as well financially. Syria has not been doing very well recently in the last like five, 10 years financially. You could probably say the same with the French league. So I'm curious to see if like maybe oil kind of seeps into these other leagues, which I mean, we all follow to an extent, but not as much as the Premier League, just because they're not as financially sound. And with the pandemic and also just like TV rights, there's a reason these big clubs in these different countries were wanting to make a European Super League all for the financial benefit of doing so. So it'll
3: be really interesting to see. So, yeah.
0: I also want to think about what if there's like a change in how we view ownership? I know there are teams that deal with like that fans own the team. You know what I mean? I don't know how that will work logistically. And I don't, I don't know if like soccer is just a whole different game. But like you look at the Green Bay Packers, don't the fans own the team? So maybe there might be a rise in that, you know, I think, you know, a lot of these clubs, these European clubs that we speak of, they have very invested supporters groups or like, you know, some fans that represent that go to these board meetings, right? So there could be an increase in that because, you know, there's a, Sometimes teams complain that the owners don't really care about the team. So, you know, there may be a a rise in that sort of ownership, fan ownership.
4: Eddie, you may know a bit more about this given your time uh, in Germany and Berlin, but I think German clubs, if not the Bundesliga, but German clubs, their fans have some sort of like invested, I guess, investment or like something a lot more prominent in germany with their clubs the fans do compared to other countries do you know about that
3: i do not actually i could be wrong okay. no
2: i know you're talking about michael i think uh barcelona is an example of that actually where the fans are a significant ownership group of the club itself so i think that's kind of like the model you're talking about eddie where mm-hmm they don't necessarily have a single owner, but they have fans who have a significant stake in the club. And then they get to vote on the new presidents of the club and things like that. So they have a really invested say in how the club is run. Hmm. I think also a lot of the things that you guys are saying are giving me some new things to think about. Like on the one hand, I hear that kind of what you were saying, Cameron, where this seems like there is a big problem of dangerous people having a lot of power in sports. And I think, I mean, the fact that we have a World Cup in Qatar this year is kind of an example of that. Four years after we had a World Cup in Russia. Like, this is.
1: And the fact that we have a World Cup in Qatar and it's been proven that FIFA was paid off for it and we still are going through with it.
2: Yeah. And I think. that's one side of it that it's like yeah this is this is pretty bad I mean and then the other side I think what you're talking about Eddie is that while that's happening there are also a lot of examples of how much sports has kind of opened up and allowed for more opportunity for players and clubs to speak out on these issues than there was in the past so it's this interesting kind of balance between how much can people speak up and how much is it not making enough of an impact? Like, I think one thing I'm interested in hearing your guys' opinion about is, what is your opinion on the World Cup taking place in Qatar? Like, do you view it differently? Are you not as excited? And what do you think of the players and how they've spoken up about it or how they've not spoken up about it? And I can say my opinion of it is, it makes me kind of sick that there's going to be a world cup there in a place where hundreds of migrant workers died, just trying to build the stadiums that these guys are going to play in. That if gay people are seen engaging in acts of public affection, they could get jailed. This is just like, so these things shouldn't be in our society that we shouldn't have to be negotiating with this sort of like, these oppressions on basic human rights. So I feel, honestly, it really makes me not excited for this World Cup. I've been a little disappointed by how weakly players and coaches have not really taken a stand on it. You get some people like Harry Kane saying, hey, we need to come together and talk about this. But I'm like, that's you're not gonna do anything. Like at the end of the day, you're gonna be there. You're gonna play every game. You're gonna try to win. If you win, you're gonna be super happy. Like you're not gonna put up that much of a fight. Yeah. So it needed, I don't know.
1: You needed to happen a long time ago.
2: Yeah. And so I'm thinking, like, unless someone chooses to boycott the World Cup, like a big name athlete chooses to boycott it. I don't think I haven't been super impressed with the players' responses. But then on the flip side, it's like. This is something that they've been dreaming for their whole lives. That they've been preparing for their whole lives. Like this is a big deal for them, and it stinks that they're in this position that they have to choose between
3: their values and their dreams. I
2: don't know. What are your guys' take on it?
1: Yeah, I'm with you, G. I don't know much about the country, but yeah, I've been hearing like like a lot of similar stories about how like they don't value the workers at all, and then obviously like i said earlier i can't get past the fact that they were paid off to have it and then they're still going through with it like there are other countries that would have done a much better job but yeah i just when all that stuff for fifa came out initially i was like like we can't have it in Qatar to start with and now like you're putting all these like human rights stuff on top of it it's like it just proves that whether it be political or sports or you know news like whatever it is money just wins and is just undefeated like they just money just wins so it just sucks and like i really haven't been paying that much attention to the stuff that they've been saying about it in the news but yeah it definitely doesn't feel as good as it would be to you know go to a country where they would actually appreciate it as opposed to just Having it to gain money and some other stuff. So
3: yeah. Um I agree with
0: what you said, Cameron and Jeet and as well. You know, I feel like um, well, first to answer your question, like, how do I feel about this World Cup? One, I keep forgetting it's a World Cup year. Because <laughs> it's in the winter. That's one thing. And then frankly, what you, Cameron and, and Jeet, what you both said, like it's not something that that was at the forefront of my brain. And I feel bad, maybe because as someone who's like such a pure fan, like like I've forgotten about sort of the, some of the atrocities that have been going on behind the scenes. But then on the other hand, it seems like every World Cup, workers are not happy in constructing the stadium. You know, there's always a group that's displeased, and I think that's a fundamental issue that FIFA needs to get right. You know, the fact that workers are working in oppressive conditions. I remember in Brazil there was complaints about the constructions of the stadiums, and things like that. Um, Russia
1: too, right? Didn't they have Russia? Yeah,
0: yeah. So it just seems like every every four years there's complaints about that in You know, FIFA needs to really get at the crux of that.
3: Yeah, I agree with you,
4: Eddie. Like, I kind of forget it's a World Cup year myself. I think in the same way, like each World Cup cycle, you know, you hear about how many people have been killed building up these stadiums, probably in very long hours day, like days of, you know, 16 hours, you're working on the stadium, very little pay relative to what you're doing, safety precautions just not being in place. And also, like I saw in the news only a couple days ago, kind of thinking about Qatar and their view on LGBTQ plus individuals and couples, like making sure I have this right. But a senior leader overseeing security for the tournament told the Associated Press that LGBTQ couples would be ex- would be welcomed and accepted in Qatar. However, that he is against overt promotion of LGBTQ plus freedoms as symbolized by the rainbow flag. And that they would actually be willing to take away the flag to protect those LGBTQ plus individuals or couples, instead of like taking away their freedom to, you know, freedom of expression, raising the rainbow flag for LGBTQ plus pride, but doing it to protect these individuals and couples. I just think that's very problematic too. Again, every World Cup cycle has a lot of stuff going on. But as we get closer and closer and closer to the World Cup, as it happens, I think even more is going to come out in the news. And honestly, like, I have heard talk about, like, some countries, like, perhaps, like, boycotting the World Cup. But, like, on one side of the financial ramifications, that would be very significant to that country and not taking part in the premier international tournament. But if one country does it, how big of news would that be in the media saying that they're actively refusing to take part in this tournament? I don't know if that will happen or not, but if it does, that will really, that would truly show a big message to guitar hosting this world cup.
0: I think Italy is, they made a bold decision not to go to this world cup. So <laughs> applause. <to> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> that's
1: shout very to,
2: true. Shout out to Italy. Um, <laughs>
1: Italy has got to be like the Lakers of Europe, right? Like, <laughs> how? How does that happen? Would they lose to like North Macedonia or something? Not even like, I don't mm-hmm. even know there's a North Macedonia. There's, how many Macedanias are there? They're tiny. Ugh.
2: Yeah, that's a big L for Italy. Second World Cup in a row that they don't qualify. And then the win the Euros in between that, that's just bizarre. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah. But yeah, so it sounds like this World Cup is going to be an interesting one, maybe not in in only good ways, but we'll see how it goes. It's definitely going to be something to follow as the months go by and we get closer to it. And I guess just to close it out, some closing thoughts on kind of how you see this area of sports progressing. I feel like there's going to be a tipping point, and maybe we saw it with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, where people at some point are going to start saying, we need to have some sort of like human rights checklist to make sure that you can buy this team or that you can bid for this World Cup. And I don't know what that would look like, and I don't know the legality of that or anything, but I think that's going to happen eventually, and I think it should happen. Like You shouldn't have these really dangerous guys trying to use these sports teams just to make people forget all the bad things they've done, because that's basically what they're doing. Like They're trying to whitewash their history by buying a sports team and making everyone love them. So I think that's my prediction for how things are going to turn out, where they're going to have to be some sort of test like a fit and able person test to make sure that the people involved in the positions of power of sports are people that haven't committed atrocities on a human rights scale at the very least. I don't know. What What are your guys' closing thoughts on this topic?
1: Yeah, I, I think, like I say, money wins out, but I mean, with social media and stuff, I mean, there there is definitely more eyeballs on these people that are, you know, buying teams and things like that. Like, it makes me think of, like, the Supreme Court justices whenever they've gotten appointed the last couple of times, like with Kavanaugh and, like, those guys. Like, whenever someone comes into the limelight like that, like, it all comes out. And social media just runs with it. And so, like, that makes me think about, like, and the same reason why the Chelsea owner got pushed out, right, is because, you know, you're learning all these stories about them and they're getting passed on through news outlets and social media and things like that more than ever before. I mean, you're, you're going to get, like, those disgruntled fans and things like that that are getting hired by certain people. So, I mean, it, it's not even with owners. It's with coaches. It's with, like, for instance, like the Carlos Beltran When he got hired, it was fresh off, like, the Astros cheating scandal. So, like, he ended up getting hired and then resigned within, like, a week or something. So, I think all that stuff definitely helps. But in the end, I think the fans obviously don't make the decision. It's the people who are writing the checks. And it's kind of like, if it's not bad enough, that they can still pass. So, like, even if they're in the oil business and, you know, their money is coming from a lot of different things like Afghan war, Syria, Russia, you know, whatever else there might be going on. you know, if it's viewed as not as bad and they have a lot of money and they're willing to invest it into making the league and the team better, then that probably wins, unfortunately.
4: Yeah, I think something you said, Cameron, about how there's so many more eyes on everything now, like not even just in the sports world, but Supreme Court nominations, anything really with social media and just how quickly communication and news can be spread. I was kind of thinking about this when you were presenting, G, but I remember one article that I found fascinating and we're going back to the domestic sports, but I think it was NFL owners. It may have been all like NFL, NBA. I think 100% at least NFL, but an ESPN.com reporter kind of looked into the owners of the NFL and like who they were donating money through PACs or super PACs to different candidates. And it was really fascinating, like just how, not even just how one-sided, you know, the funding was going to with different candidates, but just like where exactly are they funneling their money to? And I think along the same lines, like, Again, to your point camera social media, the number of clubs, European clubs in the major five countries, five leagues, I should say, you kind of think about Premier League, Italy, Serie A, French league, Spanish, German, maybe not so much German with their fan ownership, but over the decades, you know, how many clubs have been owned by big oil companies and just kind of like doing an analysis on like throughout the decades. What does that percentage look like of clubs that are funded by big oil in the 1980s compared to the 2010s? Are there different trends or tendencies in different leagues? Because it seems like there's so much more front and center. You know, you see their sponsor on the kit, and you're like, oh, there it is, it's right there. But was that the case 40 years ago, 20 years ago? What is the landscape looking like with that? Because I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there's research on it, but that'd be fascinating can kind of give a better idea on more of the macro level of European soccer and just soccer in general.
3: Who's funding these clubs? And I,
4: now granted, I haven't seen the whole two seasons, but Ted Lasso, I think there was a season two storyline in which a, if I'm not mistaken, Nigerian soccer player for the soccer club, he was invited by the club sponsor to take part in some promotional, commercial or something. He calls up his pop back home. And he's like, hey, dad, like I'm taking part in this cool sponsorship opportunity. Look at me in this commercial or whatever. And it turns out it was Dubai Airways or some made up Dubai something,
3: mm-hmm.
4: but they were actually funded by Big Oil in which that big oil company was like really ravaging his home country. So kind of thinking about that, like seeing that in the main storyline, I personally had not really seen that in sports media. And I thought that was really powerful. And, I don't know. It was really interesting because you think about these clubs, their sponsors, just money, 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 but they could be impacting the individuals who are making these clubs happen. The players on the pitch, the staff. So I thought that was a pretty interesting storyline in that show.
3: Sorry for the spoilers. Now, I was thinking about that too,
1: especially when you're talking about brands and everything. And I thought it was funny because G is the one that hasn't seen any of the episodes of that. And that was like the exact scenario that I was thinking of when you guys were talking. So
0: That's a good example. I, that never crossed my mind until you mentioned it, Michael. Um, it's a good connection. I guess um, closing thoughts. I think there's just going to be a change in way we consider ownership, you know, like I mentioned may not necessarily be these individual like single person who is an a billionaire but maybe it's um you know thousands of fans maybe being owners maybe that might be more commonplace so i think that might be something to be on the lookout for so yeah those are my closing
3: thoughts good stuff yeah
2: i think this is like everyone has been saying i think this is going to be an interesting topic to watch as the months and the years go by and i feel like this episode is going to be interesting to listen back on in like five to ten years to see hey things gotten better or are they a whole lot worse (laughs) we'll find out that covers our episode for today thank you all for listening we really enjoyed getting to talk about this stuff even though it's, it's some serious stuff but it's interesting and stuff that i think needs to be talked about so yeah, thank you all for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to the What If Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you'll know when we've released a new episode. And check out our social media pages on Instagram and Twitter at WhatIfPodSTL. Again, that's at WhatIfPodSTL. Stay tuned as we continue to reimagine the world of sports.
4: That guy.
3: guy. know. Yeah. So from the birth of Cameron, to the birth of oil, I guess.
0: I think Italy is they made a bold decision not to go to this World Cup. So <laughs> <applause> <laughs> to Italy has
1: got to be like the Lakers of Europe, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> how how does that happen? And I just remember
3: like the what if podcast